This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored, and you're listening to a great episode. With me, as always, my co-hosts, Matt, Big Willie Style, Necrone. What's up, Matt? That's awful, man. I had something good, and I can't even do it. But you said it was perverted. You could cover anything he said out there. I can't. That's horrible. It's horrible. (laughs) You challenged me, man. You challenged me. You challenged him. You, you said, come at me, bro, so he came at you. You, you don't get anything. <laughs> oh, my God. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, and also with me, Glenn, about to be unemployed, Lotzenheiser. <laughs> Is the right we're going? Yes, I am. <laughs> we have a really great show for you today, a special show. We recorded a show with... Former Tennessee Titans wide receiver Kevin Dyson with a little bit of technical issues, so we're recording the intro now. We already have the the interview pre-recorded, so if there's a little bit of difference in the way it sounds, that's why. But really great episode, really great interview. So here it is. Kevin, it takes a special athlete to make it to the professional level of any sport. At what age did you really know that you were going to make it to the NFL? Uh, as far as the NFL is concerned, you know, I got the football scholarship, played basketball in college. Um, you know, I just, I never thought I had a shot. I knew the odds were against me. I was at a uh, mountain of whack school, wasn't a lot of guys coming out of whack you know, at the time. I mean, I was just, I would have been just happy enough to get a free agent contract and get an opportunity to try out and make the practice squad, let alone be a first-round draft pick. So, you know, it was after my junior year, so I guess I was 21. Uh, my junior year, I started getting calls from agents and teams asking if I was coming out of school early. Uh, I had already graduated college, and so that's when I really started um, honing in. I started realizing I might have a shot and just started preparing myself for my senior year and, and trying to get to that next level. It certainly worked out. You did a great job. You came out of Clearfield High School in Utah. You decided to go to the University of Utah. What was your decision to be a U? Well, actually, I wanted to get out of Utah. I'm originally a desert kid, um, originally from Las Vegas, and I wanted to get out of the snow. I didn't snow ski, never been skiing in my life, being at 41 now. And uh, so I wanted to get out of Utah, and uh, Arizona State offered me. But uh, I went to Utah, I took my trip there first. They offered me immediately. I was one of their number one guys. And then I went to Arizona State a couple of weeks later, and they didn't initially offer me. They told me I had to check on a couple of things. Well, you know, the – the, the cynical side of me was like, well, I'm the Utah kid, um, and they're just going to see what this other kid from California is going to do. If he don't take it, then they're going to offer me when Utah already offered me. So when I got home, I committed to Utah. Uh, but nonetheless, Arizona still wanted me. They called me. They like, why would you do that for? We got a scholarship for you. And I was like, man, I didn't want to be without a scholarship. I, if I don't get the scholarship, I don't go to school. So, uh, so then I committed to Arizona State. Went and talked to Utah uh, about it and told them I wasn't coming. But, you know, my mom thought I needed to be a man, so I had to go tell them face-to-face because I committed to them. So I needed to go at least be a man about it. And 18-year-old kid telling them 
Actually, I was actually 17 and go tell him that I'm changing my mind. I'm decommitting and I'm going to go to Arizona State. And then uh, my, my head was spinning a little bit, and I sat there for a few weeks. I had both scholarship papers sitting in my in my living room and on signing day. I, I, I was like, you know what? I, I committed to Utah first. They committed to me first. I went ahead and signed it, put it in the FedEx little envelope they gave me and shipped it off. Now looking back, it seems like you made the right decision. Yeah, it ended up working out. Although my um, freshman year, our first game was uh, at Arizona State, you know, uh, and we lost 38 to nothing. And so it made me wonder that I made the right choice. Cause, and then they went to the Rose Bowl and, and things of that nature that year. Jake Plummer, who was actually on my recruiting trip together at uh, when we at Arizona State, was a true freshman that year. Uh, and uh, he, he ended up becoming Jake the Snake, as we all know and, and seen uh, his his – his um, comeback ability and things like that. But, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, that first year, uh, that first game of my my freshman year was a little rough because it was actually against the school that I, I, I initially turned down. Coming out of college, you were named the MVP of the Senior Bowl. How did it feel to perform that well in front of all those scouts? Uh, I mean, again, man, you know, humble kid coming from the University of Utah, man, I was just happy to be there. I was playing against guys from – the SEC, you know, and you know, even out the West Coast, and, and I was in the I was in the uh, WAC at the time, WAC and Mountain West, not the Pac-12 as we are now, and so we didn't have the TV contracts. We weren't on ESPN all the time. We we might get one a year on ESPN or or one of the ABC affiliates or something like that. So, you know, I've seen my whole college career watching Heinz Ward play and Jermaine Crowell and Tim Dwight and some of these other guys that were there with me. So, I, you know, it was a humbling experience for me, but I wanted to also make a name for myself. You know, it was funny because the guys knew who I was, and I didn't know think they did. I, I think I played um, two TV games my senior year. I think one my junior year, uh, aside from, like, ball games. And uh, But they had all had heard about me, and so they were watching me like I was watching them. And so um, I wanted to be a, a star among stars and show that I could have competed in any conference that I give an opportunity, you know, and uh, and that was my goal. I had to do that, and I ended up getting an MVP, offensive MVP of the North Squad that year, you know, and, and it, that helped propel me into that first round, I believe. All right, so after that senior bowl, Kevin, you end up going 16th overall in the 1998 draft. Where did, were you expecting to go in that draft, and, and how did it feel to go that early? Well, from my understanding, um, I, was, I was supposed to go from, by the time we got done workouts and combines and all that kind of stuff, anywhere from 8 to 16 is where I was projected. Um, um, and actually, Floyd Reese, in conversation with him, I, I kind of knew I wasn't going past 16. He said, if you fall to 16, I'm taking So I went, when I got down to 16, I, I figured he was a man of his word. I, I know he was lying to me. And I sure enough, my phone rang from Floyd Reese and Jeff Fisher, and they told me I was going to be a Tennessee Oiler. So, um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it's, of course, it's about projections. You see that all the time. You know, didn't go to New York. Randy Moss didn't go to New York. Several of us did not go to New York because it was so mumbled. We didn't know who was going to go where. I think only uh, Peyton Manning Ryan Leaf went to New York that year. Maybe Keith Booking. I can't remember. Uh, Bobby Andre Wadsworth. But nonetheless, you know, a lot of us didn't go because we were all kind of had an eight-pick window, you know, it was either eight to 16 or seven to 15 or wherever it was. And, you know, so no, there was no definite. It just depended on how the picks went. And, you know, I just had to be drafted, let alone be in the first round. 
Hey, but most of the uh, Titans fans remember you for two plays in the 1999 playoffs. The Music City Miracle, which had to be one of the greatest feelings ever, and that last catch in the Super Bowl, which is kind of the opposite. Uh, does <laughs> anybody ever interview you and not ask you about those two plays? Because we're not going to be any different. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, you know what? It comes in bunches. You know, some, I mean, you know, it might be days, uh, a week, maybe several weeks where I, I don't hear about it, you know, but then uh, there might be days or weeks where it's two or three times a day, you know what I mean? It's it, it's hit and miss. You know, I, I think right now it's, it's stirring up because of football season a little bit. Obviously, playoff time is is a big one. Uh, shoot, man. It's hard to say. You know, you know, when basketball's around, the NBA Finals, I don't get a whole lot of football questions outside of Tennessee. Um, so, I don't know, man. It's hit or miss. But, you know, I, I welcome them. You know, I've always said this in a lot of my interviews I've done. Um not everybody has Hall of Fame careers. Not everybody's a Hall of Fame. Matter of fact, the NFL's not made up of Hall of Famers. A lot of black people like to believe that, but the NFL's not made up of Peyton Manning. There's a lot of guys that are role players, keep keep cogs for their team, but they're not Hall of Famers. And they had to play a role, significant role, to help the Hall of Famers get to where they're at. So uh, I was a role player. And, you know, to have something significant, and matter of fact, two significant plays to make my want my time in the NFL that I'm remembered, um, it's something that, that I, I respect and cherish. So, you know, again, you know, everybody doesn't have a storybook career. I had a lot of injuries and, and things like that, and that's not how I plan on career going, but it, it is what it is, but at least I'm not forgotten. Speaking of, you know, these two plays that we're talking about, we're going to focus on the Super Bowl. The Rams come out, get a 16 to nothing lead at the half, and then Jeff Fisher gives the famous how-do-you-want-to-be-remembered speech it's one thing to give a speech; it's another to actually come together as a team and turn that much momentum around. Was it an yeah, immediate uh-huh. shift in focus, and did, or did it build more just one play into another to get everyone believing they could do this and come back in that game? Uh, man, I think it's a combination of the two. Huh? I think it was a shift in focus. I think it wasn't like we were shell shocked. I just think they we had a great great game plan against them the first time we met them at uh, Halloween earlier in the year, and we pretty much came out and dominated the first half, and they dominated the second half, and we held on the win. But we we just felt like we were the best team. and But our game plan was very similar, and they were prepared for it, and they made they made the right adjustments early. Well, we kind of got out of character, and I think that's what Jeff was really alluding to. It's like, which, what are we going to remember for? What's our, what's, what's our identity? And we went back to character. We started pounding the football being smart and methodical with the passing game, moving the chains, McNair doing what he does, making plays. And so it just it just grew at, at, at one play after another. You know, it was just, a, like you said, like a refocus, and then it grew one play after another. And we just started exploding and and surely get our, our swag back and, and, our, and, our, and our mentality back and have full confidence that we were going to win the game again. Brother Andre was drafted by the Titans. How did it feel to have your brother coming to the same team? <laughs> you know what? Uh, okay, first I answer your question, but uh, it was great, man, because, you know, I'm the oldest. He's my baby brother uh, by my mother. My dad has two other kids, two younger kids now. But um, so it was good because, you know, I, he's my baby brother. He was with me at Utah, and for him going to the league, and I know that life, that that, that stuff, that, that extra stuff, the, the, the extra, the media, the girls, the everything that, that, 
that's not really talked about with the NFL. And so for me to ever be there, be him, be there for him to help him through that adjustment period, that I was, he couldn't ask for a better plan um, uh, for us and my family. Like there was hints that he was going to go to New York, and my brother doesn't have a, he did not at the time have a New York mentality to survive that. But you know, he he grew some thick skin and he learned the NFL, and and then he had a successful career himself. So and he ended up playing in New York anyway. And uh, so you know, but. I think it was good for him and for us to both have that playing together and not have to worry about playing against each other. Our mother can go to one game in one city now instead of having to worry about getting to two cities and, and visiting him to visiting me. So it was just, it was a blessing, but we didn't get to enjoy it. I think me and him downplayed it so much because it was a big, we, we knew it was a big deal, but we wanted to downplay it. We downplayed it so much that we really truly didn't get to enjoy it and, and embrace it and take advantage of it, if you will, too. We didn't do any marketing deals and endorsement deals. I mean, we have two NFL records that have stood for the last 10 years, 12 years, whatever it is, and that be hard to be broken because um, it's so rare to have brothers on the same team. And um, so, you know, again, like I said, we, we didn't get to enjoy it like we should have. And, you know, lesson learned. I think now we, we appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, unfortunately, it was only for two years. But did the uh, Titans staff come to you? Did you know they were going to pick him before the pick happened? They did. Um, and uh, the DB coach, they asked me about him. They asked me a couple questions about my brother. And uh, just, you know, and, but again, you got to take that with a grain of salt. He is my baby brother. You know what I mean? So I don't think I had any influence on that at once at once when he, when he did. I think it was more or less them doing their due diligence, their homework. They liked what they saw. They knew he, he knew. He's like me, hard worker, going to do what you ask, going to play his role. Yeah, I, I don't think anything I said had any bearing on him being picked. I just think they just wanted to confirm what they already knew. Kevin, this is a tougher question to ask. This past Monday was the anniversary of McNair's passing, and you know, definitely still fresh in a lot of fans' minds. So speaking of Steve McNair, what's some of your favorite memories of Steve McNair, not just a game, but you know, being a teammate of such a great player? Man, just how humble he was, man. There's, I don't know how many times I let that man down, and he never once just berated me or cussed me out or coming me anything negative. He just he clapped at me, got me back and huddled. Stuff I remember about Mac. He just was a humble guy, just wanted to win and would do anything it took to win. And uh, he, he would, man, he'd give the shirt off his back to any of his teammates. If you needed money, he gave it to you. You know what I mean? He's just that type of dude, man. And he, he's always smiling, joking around. Uh, man, just and then you talk about his competitiveness, and that's been well documented over the years. So, man, it's just you know, it's sad to, every time this time of year because it's such a special year, and it's, it's even more for me because that's my grandmother's birthday. So, you're talking about and she passed uh, as well. So, it's it's double dynamite for me, but you know, um, it's, but you know, try to celebrate it while you can and, and appreciate it that you're still here. Yeah, he never seemed like he was too big for the game. You went to two Super Bowls with two quarterbacks whose careers were very different. Uh, Steve yeah. was a first-round pick, a legend for his toughness. Jake DeLong was undrafted. Uh, had to go through two seasons of NFL Europe, then five seasons with the Saints before we finally got a chance to go to the Panthers and fight for a starting job. Obviously, DeLong was uh, talented. He's a tough guy to persevere through all that. What was the biggest difference in those two quarterbacks in playing with him? Oh, man. Well, I would say just physical ability. I think... Mac just had was far more superior physically. 
athletically than Jake. I, I think the, the, the common thread was their competitiveness. Jake just found ways to win football games, and I think that's why Coach Fox trusted him and kept him in there. He wasn't the most talented quarterback on that roster. We had Chris Winkie and Rodney Pete as well on that roster, and Chris Winkie probably was the most talented of all of them. And um, But Jake just he had that it fact about him. He just found ways to win. He didn't always know where to go with the football. The ball wasn't always where it's supposed to be. And but the guys trusted him and they made plays and he gave it to him and he, he just he just found ways to win football games and he, he had good leadership qualities and I think that carried enough weight for Coach Fox. And so that that's the similarities. But the differences definitely is, you know, the athletic ability. Mac was far superior in that regard and arm strength and touch and and ability. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll have more with Kevin Dyson. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads, and we'll get right back to the show. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. All right, and we're back with more of the interview from Kevin Dyson. After your football career, did go on to coach, counsel, and be an athletic director. Was that part of your plan, or is that something you didn't see coming? I definitely did not see that coming, man. I, uh... (laughs) I, I, you know, I was, I, I wanted to coach. I wanted to get back in that regard, some kind of form of fashion. You know, I had, I think when I got to the end of my career, I was known as one of the leaders, guys people trusted to know what was going on on the field and things like that. I kind of knew every position as far as receivers concerned. I thought I paid attention to what the linemen were doing and quarterbacks were thinking and knowing who's the read and all that kind of stuff. So I started paying attention a little bit of that stuff and getting better at it mentally. And so I wanted to, to coach, but I didn't know if I wanted to, that life, that professional life, you know, those coaches, they put in a lot of hours. People don't see the work that the coaches put in day after day, night after night to the wee hours of the morning, three, four o'clock in the morning, then going and taking an hour or two nap, showering, and and then prepare for meetings. You know, a lot of people not see that side of coaching. They just see the end result on Saturdays and Sundays. And and I didn't know if I wanted to be about that life, but I didn't know if I did not want to be about that life. So, I, I, you know, I dabbled a little bit in high school coaching, and I liked it, and it was stable. And, you know, the uh, high school calendar, the school calendar is very similar to the pro football calendar. You know, I had my spring break. I had my, my summers off, uh, you know, those types of things. And so I, I enjoyed that, still being able to go travel and, and take vacations and trips like I did when I was playing. So I just stayed with it. Definitely some benefits to that high school calendar, yeah. Uh, yeah. What is the number one piece of advice that you have to give to young players who are dreaming of a career in pro sports, you know, NFL, NBA, like you like you were thinking? You know, what was that number one piece uh, of advice you would give them? Man, the best advice I got uh, that I lived by 
and I, I held it true. I held to it hard. And I, every time I got a little frivolous with my money, I, I always came back. But uh, Manny Hendricks, the University of Utah, he played for the Cowboys, basketball player that got drafted to play football, one of the first to do it, um, played for the Cowboys for like nine years. He told me this. He said, set your lifestyle for what you want it to be when you don't have the money coming in, when you're done playing ball. Don't sit there and set your lifestyle for why it's coming in because it doesn't always come in. It has to end for everybody. And so that, that stuck with me. And so I just – my first check ended up being my last check per se. I mean, I just signed a couple of times, but I never hit that mega contract deal, that major deal that we all hope to get. And so I've been afforded to be able to have some some – some money left over because I was I set my lifestyle to to be responsible for what I when football wasn't part of my life anymore and and so that was probably the best advice I can I can give anybody because um, the athletic stuff will take care of itself you just you know you got to find your niche you got to work hard and that's that stuff comes with our saying because it's such a competitive league everybody's good but the stuff that we don't see the fans don't see the the media doesn't see and, and how to budget and all the people clawing at you. Hey, you want to buy this? And I got this investment. What you invest in this clothing line or this cologne or hey, buy this house and we can rent it out. And, you know, all the vultures that try to pull money out of you because they know you got it, you know, just being wise financially. And I would also say not being afraid to spend because, you know, when I had the money, I should have been buying up land, especially here in Tennessee. You know, you know that's a smart investment. I wish I had somebody coach me on uh, what are smart investments and how to be financially smart with my money. Well, Kevin, I know we're we're getting pressed on time. This thing's going quick. I wanted to get your take on the Titans currently. So jumping yeah. right into it, what are your thoughts on the Titans' current ownership? And do you feel like they're meeting the expectations by the league? I think Amy's doing a great job now. I think she's trying to get more visible. I think she has heard the whispers of everybody is trying to accommodate some of the things within her will, her power to do that. Um, I think she's trying to be more visible. I think that was a, a concern of the fans. Uh, I don't necessarily think that was a concern of the players, but I think the fans wanted her here um, more, um, be more visible and get more information from her. Um, and I think she's, she's obliged that. I don't think she's ever going to be the focal point. I don't think that's her personality. We've got to realize she's not her dad. So, um, but I think what the plan they have in store right now seems to be working. And it seems to be the first time in a long time that they have had a, have a plan of implementing it. It just seemed like they were just grasping at straws at times, trying to find something that worked and trying to find a player that can, like a magic player that can turn the thing all the way around as opposed to building a team. And I think, what they're doing is they're building a team. And you look at the teams that I was on there uh, with the Titans, they, that's what they did. Flores and Jeff built a team. You know, they started with drafting people like Brad Hopkins and, and Eddie George and Steve McNair, Kenny Holmes, and myself, then Javon Kirst. Those were the first-round picks in succession. And then, you know, then you start talking about the second-round picks of like uh, Samari Roll and, and – oh, man, I'm forgetting names right now. But, you know, you start thinking about what they did about building teams and you bring in a Yancey pen, a Randall Godfrey, you got to keep book. You start building guys and you start building a stable of core guys that, that play together and have the same mentality. And I think that's what they're doing. Vis- visually, 
from the outside looking in, and that, that's the excitement that I see. Yeah, I agree, man. Kevin, there's been a lot of talk about you know the NFL not authorizing the the new ownership yet of the Titans. There's been a lot of talk about the team possibly being sold. Do you think that'll happen for Tennessee? Man, you know, money always talks. Man, you, you can always say never, but not in business. You know what I mean? I I don't know. I'm not in those those corporate meetings. Um, you know, they got the new stadium deal with Nissan, a multi million dollar deal. Um, they they seem to have a face of the franchise and Marcus Mariota. Um, they're doing so many things that would lead you to believe differently, but money talks. You know, you know, if the right city, the right town, get the right stadium deal for the right price. I I don't know. I, I mean, but I, I but I tend to believe since they just signed that contract with Nissan, and I'm not sure how many years it was, but. Uh, it's probably an excess of 15 to 20 year deal. I got to assume they're still going to be here because I think, I don't know if they can get out of that contract and not have that money. So I don't know. I, I just, I don't necessarily think they're going to do anything foolish like that. But at the end of, at the, end of the day, man, business is business. Sometimes things fall that way. It feels like they're going in the right direction, though. The hiring of Mike Mularkey, uh a lot of people were really questioning that as you know, the, the fans and the media. Do you feel like he's the right guy for the team? I mean, that remains to be seen. I think I was like everybody else had my concerns. He hadn't won in the league as far as it being a head coach and things of that nature. But i tell you this, the players seem to trust him, and that's key. And to me, that's all that needs to be said. The players trust him and want to go to war for him. It doesn't matter what the rest of us think because it's about those guys in that locker room and how they feel about it because ultimately he has to get them ready to play and, and make sure they're prepared and, and things of that nature. And so you're only going to do that for somebody you truly, truly trust and believe has your best interest at heart and wants you to be successful. And I don't think they all felt like that about uh, Wizenhut. And I, and, but I can see that with Malarkey and to me, that's going to pay dividends on the end on the end of this. But him and, and and everybody else, they have a they have a plan in mind, and it's it's it it seems to be good. Now it remains to be seen. You still got to play the games, but at least they have a, a plan and implementing it. Are you familiar with any of the uh, coaches that he's brought in? I mean, Dick LeBeau is obviously the biggest name, but are you familiar with any of the other guys? Yeah, several. Robisky, he's a guy we we talk. He, Talked a lot throughout my career when he was a receivers coach and things of that nature. Um, coach Stevie Jackson, I played with uh, Dick LeBeau, of course. You know, so I know several of the coaches. You know, uh, Coach Brown. So I mean, I've known them. That, uh, whether it be they were actually on staff, or I played with them, or they were on another staff, or they, you know, I had to go interview with them when I was being drafted, or, or things of that nature. So you know, but you know, NFL is a small, small brotherhood, smaller fraternity. And we all know each other, coaches and players alike, you know, and the, the coaching fraternity is even smaller. If you look on the NFL staffs and rosters, most of these coaches have been recycled. They're, they've been in the league 20-some-odd years, 30 years, a lot of these coaches. I mean, Dick LeBeau has been a malarkey. They've been in the game a long time. So, you know, they recycle coaches in the NFL. And so he's a small fraternity in that. And, uh, I think the players come and go far more and far quicker than the coaches do. Being a former wide receiver yourself, what would you say is a key for this wide receiver group that the Titans have currently to be successful? 
uh, receiver play is bad opportunity. You know, it's all about game plan opportunity. You know, I can't catch the ball more than five times the ball and cut my way five times. I mean, I had a conversation like that when I played. I had a game where I had eight catches, and the reporter asked me, what was up for the breakout game? I said, well, the ball came my way today. I mean, I, and I, I, I didn't know how else to put it, simply put it. And he was like, oh, that seems pretty simple. I said, it is. If the ball comes my way four or five times, chances are the best I can do is have four or five catches. But today, it just was my day. The ball came my way. And I think that day, the ball came my way like 11 times. And so chances are my production goes up because opportunities come. So receiver plays by opportunity. Receiver plays based on so many factors. Lyman has to block. Corbett has to see you. The, the running man has to pick up the blitz. There's so many factors. That would be the right coverage for your progression. There's so many different factors that determine the quality of your play. And if you're the number one guy, are they game planning for you? Are they putting you in position to make the plays? Are they giving you the, the, the pop plays, the ones that they know for sure are going to be a catch and you get that catch? So production on receiver, it, it, it varies. And I, I get a little sensitive about it because I hear people dogging these guys when they can play. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be on the NFL roster if they couldn't play. Now, are they the elite receivers in the league? Probably not, but they can play. And just give them the opportunity they can catch the football, get open, and make plays. And that's all it is. And and at the end of the day, that's all you want from them. And from everything I'm hearing so far is competitive. I think competitive makes it all better. Competition makes it all better. And as long as they're competing, and they're all going to get better, and, and you'll see their production grow on the football field. Yeah, the math of it, it definitely has a big part to do with production. If you, the ball doesn't come your way, you can't make anything happen. Uh, exactly. Another question for you. What, what do you feel like the strongest positions on the team are in the weakest positions? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, well, you know, right now I would say running back would be one of the strongest positions. Uh, I think – I still think up until they prove prove everybody wrong, offensive line is the one of concern and secondary would be right behind it there. Uh, I think they, until they prove everybody wrong that they've corrected their ills from last year – uh, those would be the two that I would say are the weakest, and then the strength would be the run game and their front seven on the defense side of the ball. Kevin, we could we could pick your mind all day long, but uh, I think I'm going to ask you it this way because we've been talking about it recently. Instead of giving your final prediction of the team this year, we've been doing floors and ceilings. My personal one was six and ten to ten and six. Ryan's was a little bit lower uh-huh. than that. What do you think your, the floor and the ceiling of the of the 2016 season will be? <laughs> That's funny because we had this conversation today when I was golfing, and uh, and last year the guy reminded me that I played with. He's like, "You were right on last year." And I've been pretty, I've been pretty good the last three, four years. I've maybe been a game off, um, and and people get surprised because a lot of us players can kind of look at rosters and look at schedule and when you meet people and where they're at and kind of tell you. Um, but they'll be in the middle, uh, seven and nine to nine and seven. You know, eight and eight, cutting it down the middle. They'll be in that. They'll be in that category, uh, which is vast improvement, obviously. Uh, over the last two years, you having the one and two picks, so you can't get much worse. But um, I, I think they'll be in the middle row of this season, competing from the, the the south. And next year, you're gonna see a big jump, depending on free agency. So. I think they might, they can maybe creep into the playoffs if they win the division because the division is down a little bit. They still got the expector and Luck, who is one of the better players, especially in this division at quarterback. 
I'm not really worried about Osweiler and, and what's the name in Jacksonville. They're still young, unproven quarterbacks, but Jacksonville has that receiving core that's really elite. But luck is the guy. You still got to be luck in this division. If we can win one of those games, and maybe both of them, we can win the division and um, get into the playoffs. But I think we'll be in the middle. Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on. It's always great to talk to a former Titans player, and you were a great interview, so thanks a lot. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. Another big thanks to Kevin Dyson for being on the show. Excellent interview with him. If you haven't seen it already, be sure to check out the two-tone uncensored scavenger hunt. You still have until at noon Eastern time on July 19th. You have to have them all submitted to twotoneuncensored at gmail.com. Send all the entries there. If you're not up to date with it, you can check it out on episode 6 of the show or by looking at our Facebook page, at Two-Tone Podcast on Facebook. It's pinned to the top there so you can see all of the challenges. So go check it out if you haven't already. If you have, remember that July 19th date to get them submitted. Someone's going to win two tickets to that week one home game against the Minnesota Vikings. So go out there and win it. And don't forget, you can check us out on the Stitcher app that you can download on your mobile device or by going to twotone.pinecast.co. We always have a show every Wednesday, and every now and again we throw in an extra bonus show like the one you just listened to. Again, big thanks to Kevin Dyson for being on the show. Thanks, Kev, for dropping another Music City Miracle. I just want to tell Kevin he's the real KD. That's all we have for this week. Be sure to check us out on Wednesday. We'll have a brand new show for you, as I said before, as we keep going through these positional breakdowns. And again, do not forget about that scavenger hunt. You can pick yourself up some free tickets to week one Tennessee Titans home opener against the Minnesota Vikings. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotone.pinecast.co or by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like it on Facebook.